welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. My guest today is Mary Margaret Callahan, who I have known for a few years now. She is the director, the national director of Pet Partners, which is a therapy animal organization. So welcome, Mary Margaret. Thanks, Colleen, for having me. I'm so excited you could join me today. Um, I've been sort of stalking you for this interview because there was a topic I really wanted to talk to you about. But before we dive into the topic, I would like you to tell people a little bit about Pet Partners. What is Pet Partners and why should they know? Well, everyone should know Pet Partners because I suspect if you're listening to Unleashed, you are someone who believes deeply in the power of the human-animal bond. And that's sort of at the heart of what Pet Partners does. Is Our primary activity is our therapy animal program where we register nine different species of animals uh, and their handlers to go and make volunteer visits uh, in facilities all across the country and actually even in uh, all across the world. We're moving internationally as well. So We have volunteers who go to hospitals and nursing homes, make hospice visits, do reading with children in libraries. We even have teams who are visiting at airports. So any place where an animal can improve a human's uh, health or well-being, that's where we like to find pet partners. Yes, indeed. And I love that it's nine species because we always think of dogs. We do. And the vast majority of our teams are dogs, but... (laughs) Uh, you know, not everyone is a dog person. And uh, I always say, you know, different people find different animals therapeutic. So um, (laughs) to to those therapy cats out there, I salute you. I've owned cats uh, for many, many years in my life. And I have never had a cat who would love to do this, but they are out there, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. My cat would not love to do it, but he is very, very social and he does love to be with his people. So that's pretty awesome. On a cat aspect of that. <laughs> so the topic I wanted to talk to you about was the concept of just enough. I feel like we're always striving for more, 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 and that our society really promotes that idea of whatever you have is good, but it could be better. And you live on a little farm called Just Enough Acres, and I love that name. And so tell me a little bit about how you happen to name your your <laughs> land. So... My husband and I decided that um, we have a, a daughter now who she's she's just about six. She's turning six next month. When we started looking for thinking about moving out to a space where we had more space and could have more animals and things like that, it was about oh four years ago is when we started sort of our search in earnest. And I have, for, for those of you who know me, uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of a tendency to have sort of a go big or go home approach to aspects of my life, <laughs> um, where, you know, like, I just, I, I feel like if I'm going to do something, I'm really going to commit, I'm going to do it big. And it's not like, you know, it, it, it goes from like, well, you could make Christmas cookies, or you could rent a chocolate tempering machine and take confectionery classes and make handmade truffles for all your friends. Like, <laughs> I sometimes have trouble with my limits. And so as we're thinking about looking for property and wanting a small farm, in my mind, I was like, this property looks good. And my husband, Seth, who's a little bit long suffering and very patient with me, he'd be like, it's 25 acres. And I'd be like, it sounds perfect. And he's like, maybe we scale that back a little bit. (laughs) You know, we didn't want to commit to property that was became burdensome for us. We wanted Mm -hmm. it to sort of be life giving and and fun and exciting and, and a great place to be without thinking that every time we came home, it was like, Oh, it's just so much to handle. So we ended up finding a wonderful little farm and home 
on three acres. And in my mind, three acres wasn't enough. Like I had been like five acres, maybe 10, but I, I just, I felt like I needed space. But as you look for farms, you know, you find either a great house, but not quite the right property, or you find a great property, but not quite the right house. And we found this place and so much of it was really what we had been looking for. And so Seth kind of got me thinking about this, like, no, this is, it's just right for us. It's just enough. It's enough of what we need. And then sort of the concept of naming our farm and we landed on just enough acres because it is three acres is, is enough for us. Now, would I be sad if suddenly it, I woke up one day and we had 10 acres? No, I wouldn't, (laughs) but three acres is just enough for us. And how many living souls live on your acres? You know, how many are you responsible for feeding? <laughs> Maybe that. <laughs> Let's just, I have the animals I have, Colleen. Can we leave it at that? No. <laughs> uh, we have uh, right now three dogs and two cats, eight miniature goats, 10 chickens, two ducks, uh, and a miniature donkey. <laughs> so th- it, it's in the 20s somewhere. I, I try not to count too closely. No. It's, it's better to count individual animals, too. I mean, like, by species. That sounds better. <laughs> yeah, right? It does. And then, of course, uh, my daughter, who is in kindergarten and uh, is, is, it shares much of the animal responsibility. And she's a, she's a deep lover of animals. So having her be able to be on a farm uh, during her formative years, I think, is, is, been, is, is a wonderful thing for her and for us. <laughs> so I, I love that. I, I love both that you have trouble with limits. And that you found just enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> so from from the idea of trying to find that spot for ourselves, what would you say are some of the things people need to think about when they're trying to decide, am I pursuing more because I need more or am I pursuing more because of some other reason? Yeah, I think my husband was right in that it was, it's at least for me, really important to find the balance of not just what I can do, but what I'm happy doing. Because sometimes I find myself, I'll, I'll push myself because I can do more because I consider myself a capable person. But at some point it tips over to that I'm not enjoying what I can do. And, you know, I, I also, I mean, so, the juxtaposition of me having this sort of go big or go home mentality in parts of my life, and then also being sort of a type A perfectionist person, like those two things are problematic sometimes. (laughs) Um, Because I, if it doesn't work out the way I have envisioned it to work out, I can be really self-critical, which is, is not life-giving at all. Right. I mean, it's draining, it's exhausting, it's disappointing. And so to try and find that just enough space for me is a place where I'm, I'm doing what I enjoy and it, there's a challenge to it and I have the opportunity to be successful. But if something doesn't go quite right, it also doesn't feel like just a disaster, right? I, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. There's a part of me that was thinking like, gosh, if you need lessons in humility, move to a farm <laughs> uh, because it is a constant sort of dance between doing things. And like, you know, at one moment, I'm like, I am a pumpkin savant. I grew pumpkins this year. And I have beautiful, huge, amazing pumpkins for fall all over the place. But then like, if I don't, I don't try and think too hard about the fact that like, 
none of my onions grew at all. Like there was just total disaster, right? And so for everything that does go well on the farm, I have equal amount of stuff that just totally flops. And I'm at that place where that's balanced enough. I'm getting enough wins that I don't have to beat myself up about the losses. I think the point about becoming self-critical when things don't go right is something that many of us can relate to. Um, I think it's real common. And I'm not sure if it's just common across the population in general or if people drawn to animals also tend toward that because I'm, I absolutely see it in, in all the different animal care professions where people are really driven to meeting a standard that they've set in their head. Mm-hmm. And that standard is golden and shiny. And what they produce is really, really great, but perhaps not as shiny as they hoped. And then they beat themselves up that I should have done better, should have worked harder, you know, all of the pieces. And that's really hard. And do you think that comes from a spot of comparing ourselves to others or, or just really comparing ourselves to these standards that are unrealistic? I think part, I think some of it is unrealistic standards. I think in today's world, like you don't have to spend much time on social media or any of the other ways we sort of stay connected to people and society. And everyone's life looks shiny and golden compared to yours. Now, you know yours and you know the fact that there is a load of laundry in the washer that you should have dried three days ago and you're going to rewash it because it smells so bad. (laughs) And you don't see that about other people's, you know, golden, shiny lives from a distance that you think, God, they're doing everything great and it looks amazing and they're making a difference in the world. And you have no idea that they ate cereal for dinner last night. (laughs) And so I think part of it is that we see the best part of other people's lives. We don't see all of it. And if we did, maybe we'd have more realistic expectations of ourselves because people look at our lives and they go, gosh, that's amazing what they do. And we don't think that about ourselves because we know about the stinky laundry. I think that's a big piece of it. And I I think also, you know, to your point about do people in sort of animal care professions do this? I think there's something so like, being around animals does make me optimistic, right? Like I want the very best for the animals that I work with, for the programs that I help create that have to do with animals. And so I hold myself to a very high standard because I love animals really deeply, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to do the best that I can by them, just like people feel the same way about their children, right? And so when I think about, you know, what I did on the weekend and I go, gosh, I, I should have should have done more work with my donkey. We're working on having his feet picked up. He was a rescue. He's got some he's got some baggage. And I was like, I, I did work with him for a while, but not as much as I could have. And if I had worked with him more then you know, I, I think in my mind that translates him to being him. He's happier. He's more well adjusted, you know, and really he's not unhappy with me. I'm unhappy with the fact that I have unrealistic expectations about how I can spend my time. So, <laughs> And I always have unrealistic expectations of how long things take. So <laughs> when I'm like, oh, I have never actually had the experience of thinking I should go work with my donkey because I've not had a donkey. But there are definitely all sorts of things, including working with my own dog, where I think, oh, I, I have time for that. And then... Right the day goes by and the next day goes by and the next day goes by. And I'm like, where did my time go? Right. Um, And trying to figure out what that balance is. 
and where just enough is, just enough time on this and that and the other thing. So it's an interesting thing. And the the point about uh, seeing other people's lives, because I I am a Facebook friend of yours, and I always think your farm pictures are so fun because they're so very different from my life, which is in a you know, perfectly nice suburban community. But none of my neighbors have chickens or ducks or <laughs> mini goats. I mean, seriously, mini goats. Everybody melts. <laughs> so um, it's a whole different world. And then I look and I'm like, she is killing it. So I'm happy to know you have cereal for dinner some nights. I, I often have cereal for dinner. <laughs> some breakfast of champions and a dinner of champions as well. It's easy. It fills me up and I really don't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just enough. Just enough. <laughs> So from that perspective of, of helping us become a little bit more realistic about what we want and what we're going to do, what, what would you suggest we do? I mean, it's, it's hard. I'm, I, my mind, you said that, the first thing my mind went to was the fact that my daughter's in kindergarten. And so we're doing all this sort of kindergarten-y stuff, Right. And this idea like that, like, what are the things you should ask yourself before you do something or take an action? Like in terms of like what they're trying to train all these new little kindergartners who are in a class together are. And it's like, you know, is it, is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it truthful? Like if you can answer these questions about it, then yes, you should do that thing. And I feel like we should have like, as adults, I need my own list like that kind of Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, saying like, is this benefiting me is it, and is it benefiting others as well? I think sometimes we do, I do things to a detriment to myself because I'm wanting to give to someone else or something else, yes. right? I think many of us get caught up in that, you know, doing things for our colleagues, doing things for our spouse, for our children, because we want to be giving, but then we're not being thoughtful about taking care of ourselves at the same time. And for me, that's a, that's a big place. I have to keep redrawing that line for myself and reminding myself, no, it is okay. Like, yes, you know, the handmade Halloween costume might be a really wonderful thing, but not if it means I'm only going to sleep two and a half hours. Trying to find that balance constantly. And just remind myself that it's not selfish to take care of yourself and to make decisions that take your needs into account along with everyone else's. Yeah. I don't know why that's such a hard lesson to learn. Uh, but it's you know taken me 50 years to learn it, and I'm still working on it. So it's clearly a hard lesson to learn. But it's this whole concept of we are really raised with the idea that it's important to help others, and we buy into it. We absolutely, yes, you know, I'm here for you kind of deal. But then any thought of taking care of ourselves or you know acknowledging, oh, no, I actually do need to get some sleep, seems selfish. And maybe that you're not a good person if you were to say, no, I absolutely have to get some sleep and I'm not going to get that done. Um, And that's not right. And it's not true. And the more we put a little self-care in, the better we are able to serve others and to do all of the things that we mean to do. But we get stuck there over and over and over and over. Everyone I talk to talks about that where they just say, I have to, you know, establish some boundaries. And that's so uncomfortable. And I've never heard anyone say, I'm fabulous at boundaries. Although maybe one of our listeners will 
share that. Like, I'm fabulous at boundaries. And we'll all go, you're next up on Unleashed at Work and Home. <laughs> Reveal your secrets to us. Because it's, it's, I think it's a really tough thing. But some of the challenges also come from our from our own internal stuff. Because I'm going to tell a family story here, and then I'm just going to cross my fingers and help my sisters don't listen. So... <laughs> We had a situation recently where a party was being held at one sister's house and the other sister was helping to organize it. And sister number one was just going crazy, just making everything perfect. And sister number two was like, there's a just enough level and it's good. Sister number three, that's me, was just going to show up and attend the party. So, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, there was all this backstory. Who knew? But one of the conversations that we had, sister number two and I, was that sister number one didn't have to go that far. She didn't have to work that hard, that everyone was going to have a fabulous time, even if she had just like slapped paper towel on the table and said, here we are. There's your napkin and your plate. Paper towel is multifunctional. And it was an interesting thing because I think it was a difficult concept to realize that the party didn't have to be perfect. The people who are coming absolutely love these sisters of mine. And I absolutely love these sisters of mine. And nobody was holding her to the criteria that she was holding herself to. And it was really a, a tough spot because she was stressing herself out and de denying sleep and all of those things. And we kind of do it to ourselves a little bit. And knowing that we do it doesn't stop us from doing it. Well, and to me, like, I, I certainly resonate with that story. I mean, I think it's something we've all experienced on some level. And to me, like, I, when I find myself in that spot, what I try and figure out is, like, so I, I've established these high standards. I want it to happen this way, whatever this way is. But, but why? Like, mm -hmm. how did I arrive at this is the standard? Just like, how did I arrive that 10 acres was the right amount of acreage? Like, I don't, I've never lived on a farm before. Like, I didn't really know. But in my mind, I was just pretty sure that that was the right number. And so how, how do we arrive at those things? And what's driving us to that? Is it how we think people are going to perceive us? Is it actually something that's going to, like maybe, I don't know, maybe someone does have more fun at a certain type of event or an event. Like I certainly know when I know things are organized, I'm able to sort of relax and enjoy myself more because I know that no one's going to have to remember to put toilet paper in the bathroom because I did that last night. So I, there's pieces of that too, but I don't even know why I'm driven to certain levels. I, I mean, I have trouble figuring it out for myself sometimes. I suspect we all do. Yeah. I think we all do. It's fascinating, though, that it's such a common challenge for us that we all sort of struggle with it and have that issue. Are you familiar with the psychology term satisficers and maximizers? Yes, I believe I am. And uh, I, I don't I don't know where I fit in there. <laughs> I don't want to know. Well, I think. I think the reality is, well, first off, for anyone who isn't familiar with these terms, satisficer, which is such a funny little word, is the it's good enough kind of person. Um, and a maximizer is the person who will keep hunting and exploring options to find the very best. 
And the reality is we all have areas in our life where we're satisficers and we all have areas where we're maximizers. So like we both acknowledge that we're satisficers in terms of dinner. We can totally do cereal for dinner. Satisficer. We're fed. Yay. (laughs) But there are probably other areas in our lives and they'll be different for each of us where we're driven to find like the very best option and explore all the pieces. But it's an interesting concept to, to think about because some people spend so much time trying to find the very best or to be the very best or to define what that would be that they never actually find a level of contentment or satisfaction with it. And that's when it becomes detrimental. Like if you want to evaluate all the criteria and buy the very best Honda, fabulous, go for it. But then you have to be able to set that aside and move forward and not keep evaluating the decision and say, well, was right. that the right one? Should I, should I not have even gotten a Honda after all? Or, you know, <laughs> and it's a, it's an interesting thing because on the one hand, satisficers come across as if they don't care. But what, what all the research says is satisficers get really good options. They just might not get the very best, but they're not mm-hmm. getting bad. They're not, you know, it doesn't meet criteria. They're just sure. not getting the ideal perfect one. And so I think that concept is an interesting one to think about from the perspective of what's enough. You know, how, mm-hmm. do, how do we know? Well, and it, it reminds me of a phrase that we use sometimes here in the office that, you know, that idea of don't let perfect be the enemy of good, mm-hmm. right? That you can still do good things and make good choices, even if there are limitations that it don't allow you to make, do it the way you think would be perfect. Yeah. And honestly, in most of our lives, right, we, we have limitations around how much money or resources or time we can spend on any one thing, but it doesn't mean by default that it's then not good. Yeah. And I think that's so true, you know, perfect being the enemy of good. And then we get stuck again. You know, I think the advice that we give to other people and the advice that we give to ourselves is so often very different. (laughs) And that having the ideas where, where you're saying, like, really evaluating how did I come to the standard? Why am I holding myself to the standard? Is this good enough? Is, you know, am I shooting for perfect when good is out there? are all very, very valuable things for us to be doing, which, again, like you said, lessons in humility, where you get to wake up and learn it again. Uh, You don't necessarily just need to do that on a farm. (laughs) (laughs) So from the perspective of, of really trying to stop and evaluate those standards of, you know, where did I define this standard? Where did I come up with this idea of what it needs to be? And, and not letting perfect be the enemy of good. How would you suggest we incorporate that? Like, how, how do you notice when you're getting stuck in that cycle? For me, I can when I start to get to a level of self-reflection that I feel like is too self-critical, that's when I know I'm, I'm stuck. And oftentimes I, I have to remind myself, like, people aren't judging me the way I judge myself. Like I think the vast majority of people who have to interact with me for work or pleasure or family or what have you think I pretty much have a pulled together life, right? I'm not a total train wreck. Um, I I would agree with that. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And I just, I have to remind myself that although I think a lot of my 
pushing myself to do more and more is because I want people to perceive me as effective or successful or insert other positive adjective here. The vast majority of time they do already, right? But somehow that's where I feel like I need more. Like they need to think I'm more successful or a better cook or, you know, really good at training goats. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably ridiculous. And I have to remind myself that there's a level of ridiculousness in that. But again, you know, it's, it's somehow, I think maybe what it is, it ties into sort of, sort of my self identity, right? I think we all have things that we we know or we believe inherently we're good at that that define us. You know, we're we're moral people, we're truthful people, we're smart people. We do things that are, we we care about animals, we care about our family, we take care of people, we're thoughtful. And so, you know, what are the activities that define sort of how my self-perception and how I want other people to see me? But then again, it's well, yes, but that's just enough. Like me making sure my family eats a dinner every night is doesn't have to be a cheese souffle, right? It, it, I, I, there, is a, there is a level of just enough there, and I'm still very successful in that. But I think maybe the, the enemy of that is, like, do we have time for that self-reflection, right? Like, mm-hmm. can I slow down enough in the moment to be like, dial it back, Mary Margaret. <laughs> what is going on here? And maybe that's what I could, I could do better, right? Here I am being self-critical about me not being <laughs> able to be less self-critical. But there you have it. It's a cycle. It is a cycle. But I think that having some triggers that tell you when you're stuck is really helpful. And I think a lot of people don't don't know when they're stuck mm-hmm. until they're very, very, very stuck. So the earlier we learn to recognize for ourselves oh, that's one of my signs, Um, the better (laughs) off it is. Mine are, I'm craving chocolate, and I have (laughs) no patience to listen. So it's like people are talking, and I'm like, yeah, 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 get to the point. (laughs) I'm like, ooh, okay, there's the moment. Okay, time to take a little break. (laughs) Have a little reflection, start over, because it's never about them. It's never about what they're doing or any of that. It's about that I have spread myself too thin. And it, and it usually is self-inflicted. It's usually that I've yeah. said yes to too many things. And then I just need to live on chocolate and have people text message me, I guess. <laughs> Something like that. I'm so charming. It's, ni- it's nice to reveal all these secrets in, in podcast form. <laughs> people are like, she's a mess. And it's true. But that's okay because we're learning to say, eh, good enough. Have just enough time for the things that are important. You got to make That's the time right. for that. So I'm not sure if I have another just enough question. Is there a just enough question that you're thinking I should have asked you? Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you've done just enough. Honestly, <laughs> have I done just enough? <laughs> defining our our just enough the level of satisfaction. Okay, well then I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions, and I know you have your puppy Zeke with you there today in the office. I do. And the question I like to ask is, if Zeke could speak English, and I asked him, "Tell me about Mary Margaret," what would Zeke say to me? So Zeke is not quite four months old yet, so he's everything is very new to Zeke. He's been with our family a little over two weeks now. I think that. Zeke would tell you 
that I'm good at belly rubs and that I try to be patient when sort of communicating new things and new expectations. It took us a long time to figure out how to go downstairs, but we worked on it and we got there, which is good <laughs> because we have to go up and downstairs to get into the office. Um, but I think that I'd like to think all my animals actually at our farm would say that I have that I I try and sort of meet them where they are and and recognize that everything is everything's a growth curve. That's certainly true for puppydom. Yes. Well, that's awesome. And I think that pretty much does describe my interactions with you. Where you have definitely met people where they are and bring people along the growth curve and you're always so positive about it, which is really nice. Well, thanks. Well, thanks for coming on Unleashed today to talk about just enough and how if we could all start figuring out what just enough is, we might be just a little bit happier. That would be Indeed. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Colleen. If people wanted to learn a little bit more about Pet Partners, where should they go? Visit us at petpartners.org. And this is for more than people that just have animals. If you don't have an animal currently, but you're a big believer in the human-animal bond, we do have things that we do, grassroots advocacy and things like that to support good legislation that is that supports the human-animal bond. So visit us at petpartners.org to learn more. Awesome. I will make sure to put that in the show notes as well. And so thank you so much for listening. We enjoyed having you today on Unleashed Mary Margaret. And if anyone is interested in learning more about any of the programs that we have at Unleashed in terms of coaching or group projects, that's all available on the website, colleenpilar.com. <laughs>